dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Um, just what a sweet time of, of worship. Lord, I do ask that um, with what we're doing today that you you continue to be with us. Uh, you continue to, to guide us and to lead us. And, and this letter that Paul wrote, um, you know, we understand the Bible is inspired by you. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, and it has a specific purpose to accomplish. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see it more clearly today, that it would strengthen our faith, and it would give us, um, it would give us that firm foundation that we need. And so, Lord, I just, uh, especially with the things we're going to talk about tonight, I feel like this is the devil's playground. And all I mean by that is if we really get this, uh, the devil has to step back because we realize the authority that we have in Jesus. We have the authority that we have through your word and what God you have done. And so that anything that the, the enemy tries to do, uh, it, it's really null and void. It's what we give him permission to do. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would stand in your strength, in, in your faith. And so, Lord, let us receive all that you have for us tonight. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as, as I told you, we you have a guest speaker uh, every once in a while, but today I just want you to guess who the speaker is. Me, good job. Okay, so it's a guest speaker, yeah. So I'm not great at pronouncing, so I'm sorry for you English teachers out there. So guess, guess, guest. It's basically the same thing coming out of my mouth, right? Um, so uh, we are, well, okay, so we're going to continue in the book of Romans. We're, we're going to finish up chapter 2 and, and chapter 3. These are both uh, really good chapters, of course. Uh, but before we do that, um, I've entitled the message tonight, Grading on a Curve. And so uh, if you are a teacher, maybe you know a little bit about grading. And if you're a student, maybe you know a little bit about being graded, right? So hopefully that covers most of us. Uh, we're either teachers. Well, hopefully we've all been students. But some of us are teachers. And so um, you know, when you have a standard structure of grading, uh, I'm, I mean, I haven't been in school in a while, so things might have changed, right? But basically, 100%, that's an A+, plus, right? Or an A++++. Plus, 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 plus. I don't know how many pluses you can have. But 100% is the best, right? And you could go all the way down to a 90, still have an A, but it's probably an A-, minus, right? There's some range in there. And then, you know, B goes 89 and so on, right, and so forth. But there's this concept of grading on a curve. And you guys know what that means when you grade on a curve? Yeah. Okay. That basically says, okay, I'm going to give a test, okay, um, and... I'm not a math expert here, okay, so you guys might need to help me a little bit. But if I give you 10 questions and you get all 20, 10 questions right, what is your grade going to be? You're going to get an A, right? You got 100%. But let's say we give it to everybody in the room and the best score is 80%. The best, best score out of everybody got 8 out of 10. So when we grade on a curve, we say, okay, now 80%, that's the 100% mark, right? And so everybody else kind of gets bumped up a little bit to make that, to make that mark. So do you guys like being graded on a curve? Is that kind of cool? Okay. Now, it can be a problem, right? Because you might have a real smarty pants, right? And guess what their grade is? 100%, right? 100%. Is there much of a grade curve when that happens? No. Probably not unless the teacher says, okay, well, let's take out the top score, right? Anybody that got 100, you know, take them out. And then, um, you know, then we'll move on to the next one. Now, you know, let's just say, for example, uh, you, guys get to, you guys get to pick the subject, and you guys, so what would your favorite subject be? Would it be English? Would it be math, right? Music, did I hear music? Okay. Um, I, you definitely don't like math, for sure. Not that guy. Okay, I'm teasing him, because that's what he, you know, he lives, he lives by numbers every day, otherwise he wouldn't. If numbers didn't exist, he would have a problem, right? Okay, so, but if you got to pick your favorite subject, do you think you could set the curve? You could get the best score in your class, and everybody else would have to, 
you know, rely on you or, you know, you'd set it. Now, if, if there was a coup, right, if there was like a whole thing where nobody wanted to do any work, everybody could say, okay, well, we're just not going to study. We're all just going to get 10%, right? So we're just going to not work, right? We're just going to cruise through this. Now, that's obviously not a great situation, right? Um, but believe it or not, we're going to talk about that a little bit in these verses today. That's some of the questions I get asked is, you know, if, if somebody is so good and my badness makes them more good, right, because that's great English for English teachers, is, um, you know, should we do that? So sometimes we ask questions and think thoughts that really don't need to be asked, right, and they don't need to be thought. But they show up in our scriptures for a reason because people were talking about that, right? They were confused about those kind of things. But, okay, so what about um, if you had to go into a subject you didn't like? You know, what, what class would that be? Math, okay, we have math again over here on this side. There's an overwhelming, there's like 99.9% .9 math answer in this room. There's just one, one person that's off, I don't know why. But so if, you were, if, if you're taking your worst class, the class you didn't like, do you think you would set the high bar for the curve? You know, probably not, right? You would be on the low part and you would, you would hope whoever set the curve, it didn't do much better than you, right? But so that way it would bump you up. Okay, so what about this concept? Let's just think about it now from a spiritual standpoint, right? We kind of get the idea with grades. And so how does this play into our spiritual life? And so, you know, we think about being good. I mean, how does, that, how does that play out in our lives? Do we think, well, you know, I'm not as bad as this other person, right? I mean, they kind of, if you will, set the curve for the badness, right? They, you know, they, they lie all the time, right? They steal. I don't do that, right? So I must be better than that person. Right? So that, that would be one way to think of it, right? Is, and I do think this is prevalent in, um, in the devil's kingdom. Right? This is how Satan works. He says, okay, well, some people are, so, are good, some people are not so good. Right? And so what, I, what we're going to start to see here is how this, this level of thinking is it's very uh, fluid. Right? It kind of changes based on the person or the situation or the thing that we're dealing with. Right? And so... You know, ultimately, when it comes to that, we're not going to, it's really not a fair judgment, right? And, it, and it's almost day by day, too, right? Today, I might be pretty good, but tomorrow, I might cuss 10 times, right? That's a big problem. So each day, is like, was I good that day? Was I good yesterday, right? What is the bar that we're, we're setting? Okay, so I'm looking around the room, and I see some really good examples of who could set the curve, Okay. But, you know, I'm just going to look and see, and I'm going to pick somebody, and I, I think it's going to be me. I think I get to be the example. So I'm going to be the curve. You know, why not, right? Because I'm up here with a microphone, right? You guys, you guys just have to listen to me. So, okay, so let's just pretend we all agree that I'm, I'm a good example, okay? So if you live life the way that I do, then you're good, right? Okay, and so what does that mean? Um, that means you got, you got to go to church, right? So you could do that. Uh, you got to take care of family. Okay, that's good, right? <laughs> Yeah, you gotta, you got to be faithful. you got to serve the church, right? you got to do those things. So if you could do all of those things, then that's enough, right? Then you're good, okay? Now, again, this is based on my curve. Now, the one thing I didn't mention is um, I, I, might, I might lie about 10 times a day, okay? So if I lie 10 times a day, and that's probably a lie by itself, now it's 11, okay? But if I lie that many times, and you only lied nine times, are you guys doing better than me? Right? Okay, so you're, you're, you're doing better than me in that arena, right? And so do you kind of see how this comparison, it gets really hairy. It gets really confusing. And it's very, it's like uh, a moving target. You just can't pinpoint it, nail it down. And so this concept of, of being good, I think that's something, and I personally, 
have fallen into this trap before I came to church, before I knew who God was, is I thought I was good because I didn't do those things that the bad people do, right? I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't killing people. I wasn't murdering people. I wasn't verbally abusing people, right? And I'm just telling you the stuff I didn't do, right? I'm not going to tell you the stuff I did. That's, you know, it's kind of personal, right? I'm not going to tell you all that stuff. But ultimately, I'm not perfect, right? I, I do sin. And there are things that um, I might do good at, but there's things that I'm, I really need a lot of work on, right? It's just things that constantly go after. <clears throat> so, you know, since we have this society of great um, technology, of great things that we can do, well, why don't we just design the best human being ever, right? We can, we can just say this, this will be our benchmark. So we can pick somebody who is very, very smart, right? Like really high off the charts in the IQ. Somebody who is, you know, very, um, very good looking, right? That would be pretty good, right? They're, they're very compassionate, right? They're, um, they're just someone you want to be around, right? They're relatable, all of these things. And they're servant-hearted. And of course, their age, um, naturally, they would be my age, right? Because that's a pretty good age, right? You know, I'm a good example, right? And, uh, and so as long as I stay alive, that's a good age, right? And, but ultimately, no matter what we do, right, with this person, we're defining somebody who's not God, right? We're defining somebody who is not perfect, who's not righteous. Okay, but then let's just do one more exercise because you guys are so excited about this. Is um, let's pretend we do the, we, we create the best Christian, Okay. And so this, this Christian, um, he can preach like Pastor James, right? Um, and it could be her too, right? She could preach like Pastor James. And they could also worship like Santosh, right? And they could administrate like Henry, right? They could do all of these things, right, that are just so amazing. Uh, prayer warrior, you know, like Caesar, right? And just all this stuff, just wise as the elders, all of these things. Even with all of that, that person still falls short, right? They still don't meet the standards. And, and if you're curious, like if stuff like that's in the Bible, I just want to read to you Matthew 5, 20. If you don't mind putting that on the board, we'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. Um, but it, it basically, uh, Jesus is discussing with those around him. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what he's basically saying in this sentence is, you know, those people who lead you in your church, in your worship, in your religion, you know how great they are. I mean, they are meticulous. They live out um, God's word as best they can. They're actually so good, they add to it. They make it so that they can't make mistakes, right? And so they get so, um, you know, you, you just look at them and you say, wow, that person is really on it, right? They know everything, all there is about God. But see, this, this concept of being good by doing good on our own is kind of a problem. Right. So hopefully you're getting this. And so uh, what we're going to do is I just want to recap just a little bit of what we talked about in Romans chapter one and chapter two. And um, some of the highlights were about Paul and he's talking about the gospel. And he said specifically he's set apart for the gospel. And he said that he's a minister. He serves people for the gospel. And he's actually eager to preach the gospel. And when I read stuff like that, I think, am I eager to preach the gospel? Like, is that something I wake up and I want to do, you know? Because um, I'll just tell you naturally, my flesh says, um, I want other people to sit, be saved, but I want somebody else to save them, right? Like, I want someone else to talk to them and, and save them. But you don't see that at all with Paul. He is eager to preach the gospel to people. And he writes about it, and even to people he doesn't know, right? So he's actually <laughs> practicing what he preaches, if you will, right? He's writing what he wants to do. And then he gives us this wonderful revelation that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and so when you think about why would he be eager, because he knows that the gospel can save people. 
And there's a reason that people need to hear the gospel is because sometimes they think wrongly, right? Is that the enemy is successful in defining what good is, right? What good is is good enough is comparing good, my good to your good or my good to someone who's bad, right? And so these are the things that he's trying to demolish. And even though he gives us these great promises, now Paul has to explain um, how pervasive sin is, how complete it is, how everybody is under that sin. So if you walk out today and you don't realize that everybody is under sin, I have not done my job. <laughs> so this is something we need to take away from these uh, early chapters. And he talks specifically uh, to the Gentiles. He says that you sin, us you know, Gentiles, we sin by denying God. We sin by idolizing things other than God. Uh, we sin by being immoral. And we also sin by, encur- excuse me, by encouraging other people to sin. And see that, how important that point was is my voice cracked, is because we encourage other people to sin when we're not careful, right? And so, uh, so then he said, okay, and if you remember yesterday, we kind of separated the room. Uh, you guys are still going to be Gentiles over here. I don't know if anybody switched sides or not, but you guys are going to be uh, uh, Jewish for this side, okay? And, and then so he, he says, okay, everyone is under sin for Gentiles, and the Jews are celebrating. They're like, fantastic. It's about time somebody told them, right, that they were sinning. And then the Jews, well, now we got to talk to them for a little bit. And so when we say to the Jews, you actually have the law, so you're an advantage, but you're still sinning, right? Because you're judging other people for not doing what they should do, and yet you're guilty of doing the same thing yourself. And so he's, he also encourages them that when we sin, um, that it's, God has this, he has, for, he has um, forgiveness and he has kindness, and that's to draw us back to him. It's not to give us permission to keep sinning. And so it's just, it's just a wonderful thing, God's tender heart. Uh, but if we get the idea that we sin and we got away with it, uh, we didn't get away with it, right? That's just not how it works. And he ultimately says that God shows no partiality. So even though Jews are God's chosen people, um, they have an advantage. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. <clears throat> but everybody is under, under sin. Now, um, I will tell you right now, in case you haven't noticed, I'm not a perfect person. And so that means I do make mistakes sometimes. And last week, I think I invented a word, so I just want to repeat that word that I invented. I tried to say, uh, and if I didn't invent it, then someone else did, but I'm trying to just say that I might have invented it. It's, it's possible. Um, I tried to say Jew and Gentile, and I kind of squeezed them together, and I said Jew-tile. And uh, that's probably the last time I'm going to intentionally say that, um, unless it's by <coughs> popular demand. Uh, but I think you guys know what I'm trying to say, is everybody is under um, this, you know, this... Um, thing called sin, right, where we're imperfect, okay? So now we're going to get into chapter 2, and I want to give you just a brief overview um, of what Paul is going after here. What I love about Paul is he is building systematically. He's building a case, right? He's saying the gospel is good, and he's doing um, just a wonderful treatment on sin, and we're going to continue that today because that's our favorite topic, the sin. So we're going to finish that out today. But there's something really awesome as we get towards the end of that. But Paul's going to ask some things about the law. Now, what I want to do is uh, the law can mean a couple things. It can mean the Ten Commandments. It can mean the first five books of the Bible, right? And both of those are totally fine. Um, but just for simplicity, I'm just going to say let's just think about the Ten Commandments because it's kind of an easier thing to, to chew on, right? And basically that just says um, how are we supposed to revere God, how are we supposed to see him and treat him, and then it's also how do we treat other people, right? And so the simple things is we don't want to take uh, the name of God in vain, <clears throat> right? 
as an example how we treat God. We don't want to idolize other things. And then the other part in terms of treating other people is we want to honor our mothers and our fathers, right? We don't want to steal. We don't want to covet. Uh, we don't want to commit murder, right? We want to commit adultery, all those things. So there's just two groupings of this law. So just for simplicity, I just want you to think about that <clears throat> when we talk about the law. And so what Paul is, he's going to talk about a couple questions, and they're all going to be around the law. Because remember, he's talking specifically to the Jews. Okay, That's our friends over here on this side of the room. And so, uh, but, but remember, you got to pay attention on this side too because it's going to apply to you too. Um, but he's going to ask questions like this. Is it more important um, to hear the law or is it more important to do the law, right? He's going to ask, is it more important to have the law or is it more important to practice the law, right? And is it more important when we live like a Christian <coughs> to live like a Christian on the outside or is it more important to live like a Christian on the inside, okay? So these are some of the topics that we're going to address and go over. And so the, the very first one, <coughs> we talk about being a hearer of the law or a doer of the law. So uh, in verse 12, he's basically saying, if you're a Gentile and you, you've never heard the law, but yet you sin, you're still guilty, right? But if you, um, if you have the law and you sin, well, then you're still guilty of the law, right? And, and so basically what he's saying is if, if you have never been to church um, and you didn't know how God wanted you to live, but you still lived in the wrong way, you're guilty of sin, right? And if you were in the church and you knew what you're supposed to do, and you didn't follow the law, well, you're guilty. And again, he's saying, doesn't matter who you are, we still are held to the same standards, right? We're all, gonna, we're all guilty um, of that law, of violating that law. And so in, uh, in verse 13, this is a, one I'd like to read with you as well. It says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And... Um, you know, as, as he continues on, we don't have time to go through every scripture, so I'm just going to kind of summarize a little bit. Uh, but he talks about even people who have not been to church, they get a sense of what's right and wrong. Like it's on their conscience. Like they can tell, you know, it is probably not good to murder people, right? It's, some kind, it's almost like common sense, if you will. But uh, the way that I like to think of it is God puts his values in people, whether they recognize it or not, right? Whether they give God the credit for those values. And so, um, and all I'm trying to say there is you could literally, and, and, he, and he's, Paul is writing this specifically, they could be people who never grew up in the church, but they actually live more in line with what God wants than people who are in the church, right? And so all I'm trying to make a point of is by being somebody who's in the church, that doesn't necessarily make you right, doesn't mean that you understand what you're doing, that you know who God is, um, but if you're here and you're really chasing God, then you're really on a good track, right? Um, but it's not necessarily your physical location. It's more where you're at spiritually, right, your relationship with God. And then uh, we get a little warning there, too, in, um, in 16, is that, you know, God, he doesn't just judge our actions, but he judges our thoughts and our motives behind what we do. You know, so uh, I can be passive aggressive, right? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not claiming that. I just said I have a history of that. Um, so I could be nice, you know, in one point, but then be mean in another point, right? Like I'll get revenge, if you will. And so God knows exactly what I'm thinking. He knows exactly what I'm feeling. He knows exactly why I'm doing things. And so when you, when I get those feelings, I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm operating under the way that the devil wants me to operate right now. So I, I repent. I confess, right? I don't want to think that way. I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to do anything, you know, because that, that person is not after me, but I feel like I need to attack them. You know, just those thoughts, crazy thoughts that go in our minds. And, 
he knows exactly everything that, that we're doing. But when we, again, we're not intended to be perfect, but when we make those mistakes, we come back to God, we confess our mistakes, right? And we say, God, I want you to lead me and guide me in that way, and we can get back on the right track. And so this is all in the grouping of, of hearers and doers. And then the other question, again, that Paul is asking is, is it more important to have the law, right, to have God's word, or is it more important to practice the law, right? And so um, ultimately you want both, right? You want to have it and you want to practice it. But he's uh, talking specifically to the Jewish people because they, they were given God's law. Uh, they were entrusted with that. And so uh, in summary of those verses, uh, the next section from 17 to 24, he's basically asking the Jews, do you practice what you preach? You know, because they knew, they were educated, right? It was like in their upbringing. They would go to the synagogue. They would know. They would hear the scripture, right? They would be taught, um, and they would receive it. They would recite it, right? It would just be part of what they did um, in their day-to-day -day lives. And so they knew the law. They knew what God wanted. Um, and they could guide people. They could teach, right? And they could, they could tell, oh, okay, that person, they don't really know about God, so I can help them, right? They could show them all these different ways. But it would, sometimes it would come from a, a, an arrogant standpoint. It would come from a confident standpoint, like they have already arrived, the Jews have already arrived because they were given those privileges, right, of the law. And so, um, you know, Paul would ask him specifically, well, you, you know, you claim you're a teacher, but, but who teaches you? You know, do you actually do what you're preaching, right? If you say to somebody, don't steal, do you actually steal yourself, right? And he would call out specifically, uh, what are the things that you could run into? And so in, uh, in verse uh, 23, I want to read that to you. And, it's, and he says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And so part of the attitude, part of their, um, the way that they would interact is they would say, okay, this is how you're supposed to live. And they would boast about how good they were in following that law. Um, but the reality is if you watch them, if you just paid attention to what they did in their life, they would be breaking the law themselves. And so much so that people who were, didn't go to church, who didn't go to the synagogue, they would see that and they would say, wait a minute, you said you're not supposed to steal, but I see you stealing every day when you go to the store, right? I steal every day when you go you know, to your neighbors and you take stuff that's not yours. And so it would actually um, cause people not to become followers of God, right? They would, be, they, would, they would say that's hypocritical, right? You're teaching one thing, but you're living a different way. And so Paul is calling them out. And, uh, and you know, again, he's asking those questions. And then this last section, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, in addition to sin, uh, the next, next topic is circumcision. Everybody loves to talk about that, right? And so um, there's something, you know, uh, for the guys, we really pay attention to this, so let's pay attention. But he's going to make a point that when, when we do this, because it's, it's a sacrifice, right? It's something that, um, you know, that men do to, to show that they belong to God, that they honor God, right? Um, but it's, if it's only physical, Paul is going to say it's all for nothing. You're basically experiencing this pain, this sacrifice, um, this change of your body with no benefits. If that's all you're doing, is if, if you're just getting circumcised and you're not obeying the law, it's all for nothing, right? It's just, um, you know, it really doesn't matter. And so he would say that uh, what's really important is what's going on on the inside, is how we live as a Christian, right? How we live as a follower of God. And he would say circumcision's a matter of the heart, right? That we, our heart is separated to God and for his purpose, and we allow the Holy Spirit to do that work inside of us, right? And so it's a significant um, uh, step that we do. And, and in verse uh, 27, he talks about, uh, he, he actually really flips the ideas on the Jews at this point, and he says, you know, it's actually better 
if somebody who's a Gentile never went to church before, right, if, and they didn't have circumcision, but they actually followed the law, they would actually have the privilege to judge Jews who have the law and who have been circumcised. So, because he's, he's totally switching around the way they, that they think about things. Um, and so uh, I want to read a couple of verses to you about um, what God really prefers. It's not necessarily obedience and following the law to a letter, but it's about mercy and it's about justice. So in Matthew 12, 7, it says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, right? Uh, because they were actually, again, the Jews were being judges to, the, to those around him. And in, in Matthew 23, 23, uh, Jesus, he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, woe to you, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and even neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to, um, ought, ought to have done without neglecting the others. So they were so focused on doing exactly what the law did, they missed the big picture of what God is about. He's about mercy and justice and faithfulness. And just again, to hammer that point home on, in uh, Romans uh, 3, uh, verse 29, it says, but a Jew is one inner, inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Okay, so Paul has done at this point a really good job of telling the Jewish people, as great as you think you are, you're not that great, right? As far as people are concerned, it's a level playing field. Um, and so at this point, I think their feelings are a little hurt. And, and I think, you know, you guys can really relate uh, to the Jewish people, and so much so that you probably have some questions that you want to ask. And so some of the questions you might want to ask might show up on the screen. So you might be thinking questions like this. Does anybody have a question they might want to ask? You are, oh, okay, Henry has a question. What, what would you like to ask? Do Jews have any advantages? Do Jews have any advantages? That's a great question. Do you have, do you happen to, anybody else happen to have another question that they, they might have? Does that, oh, okay, good. You guys are really paying attention. I just didn't, I couldn't believe the amount of questions you guys have. Okay, so you can take that off because uh, there's, we'll go to the next question next. But here's, oh no, not that, take it off, not yet. <clears throat> These guys really have questions and they want answers and then they ask questions, okay? So that's how it works. Um, you gotta let me respond. So what's happening is the Jewish people are saying, we're God's chosen people, right? We have uh, a lot of blessings, right? He, he rescued us out of Egypt. Right? We were slaved, and then he, tur he turned us into this great nation that's you know, a land flowing of milk and honey. And he's like, but, but the way that Paul is talking, it sounds like uh, we don't really have any advantages. You basically said the law, which we are very proud of, is not going to help us on its own. Right? And this, this circumcision, which is a seal of our agreement with God, right? it's our covenant with you. It goes all the way back to Abraham, that that really doesn't mean anything. I mean, if you take away those things that we stand on, we depend on what's left. Right? And so Paul has an answer to those questions about, you know, do the, does the Jew have any advantages? Is circumcision of any value? And Paul would say yes in, in many ways. And he would say specifically uh, because of the Jews were given the oracles of God. Another way to think of that is the Jews were given the word of God. They were given the scriptures. And so this is a huge blessing because if you think about it, it was only through the Jewish people that we have our Bible specifically the Old Testament, right? And so they were very faithful to God's word uh, to record it and, um, you know, and write copies of it so that we have it today. Because if we didn't have that, 
word from them, we would really be at a loss, wouldn't we? I mean, it'd be very hard to understand what does God want specifically if he didn't continue to talk in those ways. And so Paul is saying that, yes, uh, Jews have a very great advantage. And, you know, and again, I know I'm thinking, you guys are thinking, okay, that, that sounds good, Paul, but I still have some other questions. And so um, if you guys were thinking of a question, what might that question be? And it might show up on the screen here in a, in a second. Does anybody have a question they want to ask? Oh, do yeah. I, do unfaithful people cancel God's faithful? Wow, that is an awesome question. I don't, you guys are very insightful. I really just appreciate your attentiveness. Um, I almost feel like you guys are teaching me right now. This is really amazing. So thank you for that. So this is, this is a good question, right? Do, if, we, if we are unfaithful, does that cancel out God's faithfulness at all? Okay, now if you remember, we talked about grading on a curve a little bit earlier, right? And these are... I don't know, you know, I said it's a great question, but I'm not sure, right, really if it's a great question. But it's good enough to be in the Bible for a reason, right? These are questions, these are things that people are talking about. Um, so what I love about God is he is never changing, right? He, he does not depend on us. We depend on him, right? He doesn't change, but we change, right? And he changes us. And so uh, Paul would say, by no means, let God be true, though everyone you know, everyone were a liar as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Okay, um, now we're going to skip over a couple of scriptures. Uh, we're going to get to, you know, Paul is going to really start to hammer this sin thing. So if you haven't caught it by now, Gentiles, we're all subject to sin. We can't, we can't do anything to correct that. Jews are in the same boat, can't do anything uh, to satisfy the wrath of sin. But Paul wants to make sure that we really understand that. So in, re, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 9. And he says, well, what then? Are we Jews any better off? And in, in this context, he's talking about in salvation and sin. And Paul says, no, not at all. Everyone uh, is subject to sin. So if we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God, and all have turned aside. Together, um, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Okay, so does that help un help us understand? Yeah. Everybody is under the same situation when it comes to sin. Okay, and he's going to give us a little bit more uh, knowledge, but we're about to hit some pretty fun scriptures here in a second. So, um, don't want you to miss out on that. So, as he continues on down in verse 19, I want to read that to you. So Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And so from a picture standpoint, I just want you to picture the law as being something so high, so unreachable, right, that we are underneath it. We are below the law, right? And there's, there's no way that we can get to the law, we can get over the law. And in verse 20, it says, and no one will be justified by works of the law. For what does the law do? The law brings the knowledge of sin. Okay. So I want to uh, just think about this for just a second. So when it comes to the law, it's, it's, there's several purposes to it, right? But this is one of the purposes of the law, is it, it tells us what is righteous, what is right, what is good, and what is not, right? What is bad, what is unrighteous, what is sin. So when we don't uh, adhere to the law, then we fall into sin. And what I love about God is he's very clear, right? When he says, do not commit murder, do we all know what that means? 
It's pretty, pretty straightforward, right? Do not steal. We know what that means. So he's a loving God that speaks very clearly, and he sets the bar um, accurately. But he does set the bar very high, right? And as far as people are concerned, uh, maybe too high, right? We just can't reach it. And, and that's one of the things that we want to capture out of this tonight. And when it comes to the law, its purpose is not to make us right. It's to help us to see that we cannot be right, that we cannot attain that. And so this is a powerful uh, concept because a lot of people get stuck in a works-based faith, right? Um, I can be right with God by working. And the law is telling us a different story. It's saying it's, it's actually impossible to be right and that we are all guilty and that we do need a savior. And you know, one thing I do, I like to think about when it comes to the law is if the law could save us, if we could be saved by the law, would we need the cross? What do you guys think? If we could live good enough to follow the law, would we need the cross? We wouldn't need the cross, would we? And so if the law was meant to save us, then Jesus died for no reason, right? And so we just want to be thinking about these things, what saves us, right? Because there's a very clear uh, thought process that he's, Paul's having to address that people think they could be saved by the law. But that's not the point of the law. The point is to help us understand that we cannot attain that level of righteousness, that level of goodness that God has. And so I would, you know, and I also just think about when Jesus went to the cross, he specifically prayed and he asked God. He said, if, if, there, if there's another way, right, if I don't have to go to the cross, let's do that, right? But when he prayed, God didn't give him any difference. He said, no, the cross is the only way. And I believe Jesus knew that, but remember, Jesus was God, and he was man too. And so he was just confirming, God, this is your plan, right? This is what you want to do. And so the law could, was never designed to save us. It was to show us what sin is and our need for God. And, you know, I just, I just think about sometimes, you know, like if you think about that, if, has there been any times where you've, you've paid for something and you didn't need to pay for it? And I'll just give you an example. Like, my family, we just had to watch this movie online, right? And it was whatever movie that was. And then the next week, guess what? It's free, right? They just start streaming it for me. You know, thank you for taking my 10 bucks or however much money it was, right? If I just waited a moment, right, I could have gotten some more. Or maybe another time where, you know, you're, you're just hungry. You're like, okay, I'm just going to get some fast food real quick. You get some fast food, you come home, and guess what? Dinner's already made. So you did not need to buy that food, right, because you already had food waiting for you, right? And so... I know I'm making kind of just some jokes and silliness, but when you think about it, I mean, this is way on the complete extreme. But if Jesus did not need to go on the cross, right, because we could live up to the law, what a, what a waste that would be, right? It would be horrendous. And, and I think we know very clearly, for those of us who have been around, that that's not the case at all. We cannot be saved by the law, right? The law is, is something that we just cannot attain, we cannot live up to. Okay, now we're going to get into the verses that are really, really good. So in, in verse 21, um, Paul is, for the most part, done talking about sin. He's made, it, he's made a really good case. All of us are under, under sin. And so in verse 20, 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God, God's goodness, it has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So um, I'll tell you, before studying this, I'm not even sure I knew what that meant. 
But I just want to clarify this just a little bit. Now, the righteousness of God has been made manifest. Um, do you guys know what that means? That means that Jesus came, right, in person as God. So when we say manifest, it's, it's what we could see. The righteousness of God we could see, we could touch, we could feel, right? We could speak to. And, but it was apart from the law. But the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. And so another way to say that is the law said, this is the standard of righteousness, and Jesus is it, right? And the prophet said, I'm, God's going to send you a savior, and Jesus is it, right? And so this is God's righteousness. It's been manifested. And, and in verse uh, 22, it says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who do what? Who satisfy the law? For all who never make a mistake every day, right? No, it's, it's all we have to do is believe. And what do we believe in? We believe in Jesus by faith, right? And so that is our requirement is that we have to believe has nothing to do with how we obey the law. For there is no distinction, uh, verse 23, for some have sinned. Is that what your Bible says? For most people have sinned, right? For all have sinned, right? Every single person has sinned. As good as we think we are, we have all fallen into that. We fall short of the glory of God. And verse 24 is pretty amazing. But... Yet even all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We are all justified by his grace, which is a gift, as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And I'll go ahead and read the next two and come back. To whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. You can think of it as a payment, an appeasement for God's wrath, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because of his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, so this is a scripture I really want you guys to spend, your, spend time on. You know, we're, um, I, I don't know if I encouraged you last time, but I want you to read through these verses, right? And this is um, a very powerful uh, set of scripture here. Um, you know, starting with verse 21 all the way through 26. But I want to come back a little bit. I know I went through that a little quickly. Now, in verse 24, it says, and, you know, it talks about everybody who has sinned and fallen sh uh, short of the glory of God, that we are justified by his grace as a gift. Now, this word justified, another way that you can think of it is called uh, declared righteous, okay? And so I just want to put that in a different line of thinking. Us as unrighteous people who are not good enough to be in God's presence, a just God, he declares you righteous. And how does that happen? All we have to do is we have to have faith in Jesus and we have to believe that we can receive what God has done for us, right? We don't have to abide by the law. We don't have to be perfect. But I just want that to settle in for a second, is that every single person who has submitted to Jesus as being their savior is declared righteous. And so my question to you is, do you feel like you're declared righteous? Do you feel like you are in right standing with God because you believe in Jesus? Okay. This is a point that Paul is really hammering because I think this is where the enemy has his play day is he says, oh, well, are you really saved? 
I mean, all those mistakes that you did today, would you really be righteous if you made those mistakes, right? And so what I want to, I really want us to grasp with this is this concept of justification is a one-time, forever declaration upon us. It says when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God says you are now righteous. You are justified. Okay, so this is an area where the enemy does not have permission to tinker with us at all, right? If we stand on God's truth. And so I want us to walk away tonight knowing that we are justified. God has declared us righteous because we have um, submitted to Jesus. Okay, and another way to say that is because Jesus is so right, he is so good, and his sacrifice was so complete that when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus upon us. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see our past. He doesn't see our sins. Okay. So whenever those thoughts come, all those mistakes that I made, all this stuff that I carry around, that's just the enemy being victorious in your life because that goes completely against what God is saying right here. So we don't have to fight the battles that Jesus has already won. Right? We don't have to slow down. We don't have to carry that baggage um, that the devil wants us to hold on to. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would know that we are justified. We are declared righteous uh, through Jesus' sacrifice. And again, it was given freely from our standpoint. We just have to believe. We didn't have to pay, right? That's what Jesus did. And he redeemed us. So Jesus, he frees people from sin, right? We are slaves to sin until we get set free by Jesus. And he transfers his righteousness upon us. And then he allows us to approach God's throne. We're allowed to have a relationship with God all through that. Um, it's quite an amazing gift. Now, remember, we talked about grading on a curve earlier, right? And so I'm going to propose to you that, G that um, God grades on a curve. And you don't necessarily have to agree with me, but I just want to explain that. God grades on a curve, but do you know who the curve is? Jesus. And do you know how perfect and wonderful he is okay so here's where the the curve could be good news it could be bad news we do not have to live up to his standards on our own right we can take upon his goodness his his righteousness upon ourselves. and so because it's a test we cannot pass right it's a class we will never master right we're going to continue to be students of god right he's going to continue to be our shepherd going to continue to be our teacher but in this particular system that God has, we can work with Jesus, right? We're not in competition with him. It's his glory, his goodness that we're in partnership with. Okay, so we got a couple more verses and we can wrap up here. So going to verse 27, uh, he's going to transition a little bit. And, he's gonna says, and he says, well, then what becomes of our boasting? Can we really brag about what, who we are and how good we are? It says, nope, that's excluded. We cannot boast. And it says, well, by what kind of law? So we have a concept of a law of works. That means I can work my way to being righteous. Well, he says, nope, that's not it. But there's something called the law of faith. And, as, and if you remember last time we talked about the righteous will live by faith. And today we're talking about that we are justified by faith. And so it's a really um, awesome uh, combination there. Now let's go to verse 28. It says, for that we hold... Just what I said, that no one is justified, oh, excuse me, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So it just takes our faith. 
And in verse 29, he asks a question again. He says, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? For sure, right? That's what he said. Yeah, God of the Gentiles too. And he says in verse 30, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised um, through faith? And so it doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, you're a Jew. Faith is what takes us there. And in verse 31 uh, will be our last scripture for tonight. It says, do we then overthrow the law, like the Ten Commandments as an example, by this faith? And he says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And so with that, I want to um, just give a quick summary, you know, some of the things that we've talked about. And, and so Paul is really emphasizing how good God is, right? How right he is, how just he is, um, and then the law is a, um, it, it, one of the purposes of the law is to is to for us to understand completely how good God is because He can meet every single one of those things, right? Uh, but it also exposes us to sin, right? It helps us understand what is the way that we're supposed to live, and it also it, it shows us that we cannot satisfy the law on our own. And as we've talked about, um, because God is so right and He's so just, He is the only one who could satisfy the payment for sin. We can't do it ourselves. If, if we went to the cross, we couldn't even pay for the own, our own sin. It still wouldn't be enough. And God doesn't want that. He realized we cannot get there on our own. So he, he goes ahead and, and provides his son for us in that way. And so hopefully we understand that we all need God. There is no one who's above anyone else. We're all at the, at the level playing field, that we all need Jesus. And my hope is, as we've talked about quite a bit, is that we've made the choice to follow Jesus, to have him as our Lord and Savior, so that we are justified, so that we are declared righteous by God's righteousness. And I don't know if there's people online or maybe in the room that you've never made that decision before, but I just want to give you a very simple uh, thing that you can pray on and you can ask God into your heart. And it's really simple. All it is saying is, um, I, I think I get it. I think I understand that my definition of good does not meet God's definition of good. Right? I, I just confess, Lord, that I'm, I'm not perfect, and I believe that, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And, and I just confess my sins to you, and I confess that you are my Lord and Savior, and I want to follow you. So it's simple prayers like that, but it's got to be genuine. It's got to be from your heart to give the invitation for God to move in your life. And with a true confession of, the, of, of that type of a statement, then you can be justified. You can be declared righteous in God's, time, in God's eyes and God's economy. And so what I'd like to do is I'm going to go ahead and, um, and close us in prayer, and then we'll talk about our questions and get into our small groups right after that. Uh, so dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this word. Thank you for your truth. Um, thank you that you do everything. Um, you have made a way. Um, and Lord, there are, uh, there are people, uh, and, and myself included, Lord, uh, that sometimes we forget how good you are, and we forget how powerful your truth is, and we forget how complete your work is on the cross. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would live in a way that um, just it just doesn't have to deal with these things anymore. We don't give the enemy any area to roam around in our life to slow us down or to mislead us and to guide us. And so, Lord, we choose you. We choose to live uh, based on your truth, your power, and your Holy Spirit, Lord. So we pray that you continue to lead and guide us 
Um, and Lord, we just have complete victory in these areas. And so Lord, we thank you. We just thank you so much for what you're doing, what you've done, and what you're going to continue to do. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, so before we get into our groups, I just want to read some of the questions. Um, and again, just want to give you, uh, you know, permission. If there is something that happened, you know, during the message or something that stood out you have questions on, you can certainly talk about that. But, uh, but we've got some things that, uh, we'll, you know, we'd like you to consider and see, you know, what you think. So the first one is, uh, what is the purpose of the law? Or what are the purposes of the law? Uh, we talked about that a little bit. And if, um, you know, again, if you don't know what that means, we can, we can explain that a little bit. And another thing is, why does God justify us by faith? And then the last question is, you know, just take it personal. Do you personally feel justified by God? Do you feel that you have been declared righteous? And why do you feel that way or why don't you feel that way? Okay, so with that, we'll wrap up our online service and uh, we'll get into groups. And ideally, we could do groups of like, let's say, four or five.